Before we get started, we'd just like to congratulate Phil Dyson and his team for being the seated Eastercon. Reclamation 2022 will be our next British National Science Fiction Convention, and you can go and join now. There is a link in the show notes. Um, Alison appears to now be eating a bagel with jam on. There is a long explanation for this. Is it that Stephen toasted a bagel and put jam on it? That's like the last 8% of the long explanation. <laughs> so if you'd like the rest of it, you can have it. But we do have a lot to get through. If you want the other 92% of that anecdote, please come to Octothorpe Live, which will be on 25th of April 2021. And when we will have nothing to talk about in fandom. Hello everyone and welcome to the 29th episode of Octothorpe, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. This episode will be going out on the 15th of April 2021. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. Today we have two letters of comments, um, which is probably because it was Eastercon in between last episode and this episode, and so people have been busy partying and conventioning and other things. I, I would like to say that one of the things that happened at Eastercon is that people kept coming up to us and saying that they were enjoying the podcast and they thought it was good, including people that we had had no idea were listening to it at all. So if you're out there, A, thank you very much, and B, this does not prevent you from writing us letters. <laughs> Yes, thank you very much for the compliments, but why don't you write to us? We're very needy. No, and there were actually quite a few people who said that they had not realised we were doing a podcast and have now started listening, which is kind of pleasing because I assumed uh, that, you know, we had hit our absolutely peak listenership. So it is bewildering uh, that uh, apparently we had not. But um, DC wrote to us and said that they were feeling sad at the lack of opportunity at Eastercon to acquire delicious bits of chocolate late at night from Malcolm. And so they have attached a photograph of nine bars of lint chocolate to an email to us. And um, I am very jealous because I had Reese's peanut butter eggs for my Eastercon experience, which were great, but were not nine bars of lint chocolate. One of the things about lockdown is that my husband has to service a greater variety of needs than he might have been required to in pre-pandemic time. Family show, Alison. Family show. So as well as his normal requirement to provide me with an Easter egg over Easter, I let it be known before Easter that it would be very helpful if he also had a number of boxes of slightly cheap chocolate of the sort that Michael Abbott hands round and also a number of bars of the sort of chocolate that Malcolm Hutchison hands round to hand and provided me with some um, single variety, a couple of different single varietal chocolates and they were very nice. So thank you very much, Stephen. You're you're eight. But this is what I'd recommend. I, we did go through Eastercon and go, what does what things do we normally have that enhance our Eastercon that we won't be getting unless we get them ourselves in advance? DC also says in the West Wing reference that they see me more as a Josh, but that's mainly because they envision me wearing little more than waders and blearily asking what's happening. So thanks, DC. Uh, much appreciated. 
And then they also say best wishes for the live podcast of Octothorpe, the tech that works. So, um, yes, thanks, DC. We are going to be doing our live episode next episode, which will be on the 25th of April, 2021. I, I don't think I have much to add, except that obviously, John, anytime you would like to turn up to the podcast uh, wearing only waders, that is totally fine with us. Please don't. two very different opinions from my co-hosts on that interestingly and i would also like to highlight dc's tweet to us where uh, they say they're still unconsciously saying beep along with john at the end of the podcast so listeners you can all join in at home yeah and then other people who tweeted at us were peter sullivan who agrees that having an overarching head of communications for a convention is a good thing Thanks, Peter. I'm glad you think so. And also volunteered, which is obviously a dangerous thing to do uh, in earshot of John right now. That is true. That's very true. Um, uh, Jersey Griffin tweeted us to say, Ambassador, with these episodes, you are really spoiling us, which I think is a chocolate reference. And um, Gwen tweeted us to say that they've just started listening to our podcast and it's awesome. Looking forward to your chat on Father Ted. It will definitely one day happen just it might be like you know a couple of years away we keep recording episodes uh which you'd think would be a positive thing um yeah we should explain the father ted is our break glass in case it's well it's part of the debate on our break glass in case of emergency podcast which is ready to be deployed uh should any of us not be available to podcast uh one fortnight but we've all been quite reliable so far yes that's because two of us have not gone anywhere for a year and and that one time i did go somewhere i did make you podcast at a different time yeah and basically it's for when me and alison are on a beach and liz is in lockdown which appears to be the trajectory in which things are heading which is a bit weird i have some beaches in mind and we should book that it'll just be me having a solo podcast and just being extremely grumpy while you guys send me you know pictures of the ocean <laughs> it's fine it's fine <laughs> margate alison margate let's get this done Oh, I love Mark Margate. Oh, Dreamland! I can take you on the um, on the one of Britain's oldest roller coasters, one of the world's oldest roller coasters. Except that the day that I went to Margate specifically so that I could ride the roller coaster, it was shut. That is always the way. I will ride on it one day. I'm I'm excited. Um, we did also have a comment from Duncan McGregor on the diversity of gaming panels. I will say. Um, the gaming panels got a lot more diverse when the program was finished, so that was good. The program was finished, I would say, at about noon on Saturday of Eastercom, maybe. Um, but at that point, there was a lot more uh, like different voices and stuff, which was very good to see. Um, and if anyone is a member who didn't watch it, I really recommend the Accessibility on Gaming uh, podcast, which has some really interesting insights um, uh, from the perspective of accessibility in games, uh, which was which was really good. Um, and then finally, we have a letter from Claire Briley of Croydon. Um, so Claire says, on your records, John claimed his bowling ball is a round black thing with a hole in the middle. But anyone who was a teenage reader of smash hits in the 1980s might suspect that what he's got there is a licorice all sort. Taste, offensiveness and legality. Well, there's another comedy trio for you, but only you can decide if that's in the right order for you. I wonder if anyone got confused by the beeps and stopped the podcast before Alison's first tits. I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> that would frankly that would have been nineteen seventy five, so you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> um so if 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 it was taste offensiveness in legality in order, I'm taste 
Alison is offensiveness and Liz is legality. <laughs> and that that doesn't I don't know. I I don't feel it's the worst matchup of the three. <laughs> Alison making eyes at me, listener. Not the sort of eyes you're thinking of. Like go- googly eyes. Paddington hard stare eyes. Go- no, googly eyes. I'm telling you. And then Claire says, I am safe from Jerry sending me more Weetabix, says John. Famous last words worth repeating. Um, well, I have just repeated them, so well played, Claire. Um, but also, um, Jerry, please don't send me Weetabix. Uh, I would feel bad about the carbon footprint of that Weetabix. We're going to talk about a topic in which we all sincerely and deeply believe and that is Esther's cat, Badger. Badger, the cat, is obviously the best cat in science fiction fandom. If you are listening to this thinking, my cat is better, you are wrong. Badger is better. He's best cat. I have no skin in this game because unlike some of my co-hosts, I don't personally have a cat. So I can say that Badger is absolutely magnificent. He is a cat amongst cats. He is peerless in his majesty he's quite the cat he is perfect he is excellent and handsome and high virtue and in need of praise and he has given his name to a very 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 tiny kitten who hopefully can spend its life hoping to live up to the badgeriness of of big badger yes and as esther notes um badger is probably licking his bum right now and he will be doing so in a glorious and fantastic way i'm sure he he could give lessons to other cats in in how to lick their bottoms i think we would all agree that if t.s Eliot were still with us the cat he would be writing about is badger the cat but alas he is not with us and so i have had to compose my own ode to badger oh badger cat you are so large and fond of sunbeams to recharge your energy. So when it's late and Esther's jigsaws lie in state, you sit on them with mighty weight because you are the best roommate. Badger, we love you. Badger's the best cat. Thank you very much to Esther for um, giving an enormous amount of money to the fan funds at the fan fund auction. Um, Esther is as good a fan as Badger is a cat. Uh, right, so launching in to the topics, we have thoughts about confusion. For those who don't know, confusion was the EasterCon of 2021, which occurred at Easter, which is the last weekend as we record. We went to EasterCon. It was very like EasterCon. No. More like EasterCon than I was expecting. Yes. I got too drunk every day and stayed up till 2am. Yep. I did too. But it was also like EasterCon, sufficiently much that I do wonder whether committee sat down and said, it's not going to feel proper like EasterCon unless we have a mad panic trying to get everything working in the first day of the convention. We have thoughts about confusion and what went well and what went badly. And uh, we're going to kind of tackle them in um, kind of theme by theme and go through and say kind of the things we liked and the things we didn't like so much. So the first thing we're going to discuss is EasterCon's communications. Um, 
so I think Isakon's communications strategy was um, idiosyncratic um, for an Eastercon. I think it relied on video and social media to an extent that we have not seen from previous Eastercons. Um, in some ways, that's a very modern take on how to um, convey information. And um, in some ways, I think that's to be applauded. Um, but in other ways, I think the reliance on video as a medium um, did frustrate some people, especially those people for whom um, video is not an accessible medium. Um, and that was an interesting uh, choice and one I think that if I was going to do communications for an Eastercon I would probably not be um, doing it by video as a result. Um, the other kind of hallmark of the Eastercon communication strategy as I saw it was a desire to keep things very close to their chest so we didn't find out until quite close to the convention that they were planning to use Gather um, and, and kind of a lot of things like um, program items started to be trailed in the two weeks before the convention which was quite close to the convention um, and that was again that was a decision that I think they made to kind of stoke anticipation um, but I think in some quarters that I was seeing discussion, it was actually stoking worry, which I think was not what they were trying to achieve. And so I think I think my two takeaways from their communication strategy is that secrecy is, I think, probably overrated. I think it's better to have people getting excited about all the cool stuff you're doing rather than getting excited about all the cool stuff you might announce eventually. Um, and it's also probably better not to focus on methods of dissemination that are uh, potentially accessibility issues. I think I broadly agree with you. I think that where I disagree about video is that using video would be absolutely the right way when they had, for example, videos introducing like Gather as a platform. And those kind of tutorial videos, I think, are really helpful. Like I know for punctuation, we did kind of very sort of text and screenshot heavy instructions on how you are going to access our different platforms. But it was maybe the, the video introducing things that was the most useful for people to go and, go and watch. But I agree that if you're going to do that, one, I think you need to really try and have a transcript up at the same time because there's nothing worse than having a video playing and finding that everyone else is kind of, you know, able to look at this video and get all the information out. And if, if videos are not accessible to you, then you're sort of left in the dark and you don't want any, if you want to get people excited, you don't want them to be sad because they can't be excited with, along with everyone else because you haven't provided the information in a medium they can access. And yeah, just a sort of general over-reliance on video and also kind of the expectation they were going to do weekly videos and then it was sort of there were three videos and then they stopped i think it was a bit of a problem because you're sort of waiting for the next video and thinking oh well i'm sure there'll be more detail in the next video but there wasn't a next video and maybe if you had a easier sort of more text-based strategy it, it's less effort it wouldn't you wouldn't have to be waiting to try and make a video and it's clear that some of the people who are making the videos were also the people who were trying to do the rest of the convention so i think there's ways you could do videos but do them in a slightly different way that would be more helpful that's actually a phenomenal point which I hadn't considered which is the point about if you're going to make videos which are quite difficult and quite intensive I lack the skill to do them which is why we did not do them for punctuation um, having someone do them that is not also either trying to run every part of the communications or trying to build the tech stack is, is probably a good thing um, so yes very very good point um, Alison so I ran social media for Mancunicon which was um, six years ago now but we actually had to stop our social media strategy before it really got going because the convention was clearly going to fill its space. But one of the reasons that was, was that the social media strategy, which was basically, we won't think about it too hard, but we will keep tweeting out and um, and sharing interesting things with 
membership um, was was actually generating all the buzz that we needed and the convention would be full. Um, this convention didn't do that. So you talked about them relying on social media, but they they hardly tweeted at all or made any posts in the first five months of running the convention. So so there's the, the, about one post a month um, until you get to the point where they say we're going virtual. And then there was nothing more after that for about three months. And, and I, this is the point where I go... If I had done it, I would have tried to do it differently. And I think part of what went wrong for them there is that they were being very concerned about controlling the message so that they didn't give the... I, I'm surmising, I don't know, I haven't talked to Zoe about this. Um, if you're listening, Zoe, please get in touch um, and tell all. Well, actually, don't tell all, just tell the nice bits. I didn't feel that they had a social media team who felt empowered which is a very crappy management word but didn't feel able to just have that slight frivolity that you need in order to do social media well that you need to be able to go with whatever the flow of this is happening at the time and you need to be quite regular about it and you don't need to make sure that every single word has been cleared back through the committee and chair because it's quite easy to take things down and apologize if you stuff up obviously you don't want to do it too spectacularly what that led to was Partly it it, in, it reflected this kind of sense of secrecy that that we weren't being told because they actually didn't want Eastercon members to know what the Eastercon was going to be like, which is weird, especially if not if you're trying to build membership. They were kind of like, we're desperate to get more members. It's going to be great. But without actually telling anyone anything about anything, it's very hard to, to make that happen. But also when they did kind of go, we're not telling you anything, but the theme is fun and whimsy. And you've just had eight months or 10 months of a social media strategy that has never once showed the slightest twinge of fun or whimsy that that provides a kind of disconnect in the in the in the readers and the, the members that make them go fun, whimsy. Is that is that what you're about? That's not what we get. And in fact, they did have their actual branding was quite fun and whimsical. They had like rocket ships and cute font and all of that cuteness that was that was doing that but but I think unless your communications reflect that all the way through people aren't really going to believe you and I think that's what happened I think people didn't believe they were going to have fun if they came to the convention um, and a lot of people didn't come as a result so so I, I it's not how I would have done it yeah I think that all seems fair and I think this is one thing when people think they've got an excellent thing that they need to surprise people with they forget that actually secrecy is not the most important thing the most important thing is excitement and there is more than one way to generate excitement and one of those things is by telling people why they should be excited and i think that is almost the antithesis of secrecy and they're both valid um ways of doing it but when it becomes people if it becomes clear that people are more aggravated than excited by your secrecy that might be the point at which you switch tack perhaps and i think what you were saying alison about the lack of um flexibility and responsiveness in social media um is slightly uh i think touching on that and i think i think it's probably fair for me to share this on the podcast now um so i i actually approached eastercon before we ran punctuation to set up their discord and i did most of the initial work on their discord but i eventually left the team because i was working under zoe as as the kind of head of social media but i i was not able to 
have discussions with her at which decisions were made because decisions had to be passed back up the chain and so it'd be a week between me suggesting something and me hearing from zoe whether or not that was something we could do and i just found it so frustrating that i eventually left because i was like i can't i just feel like i'm moving through treacle and i'm not used to that kind of thing in a in something like running a discord or a social media thing where i feel like responsiveness is is an incredibly key component of doing that um and that's not a slight on how they did it necessarily but it was definitely something i felt was not fun for me i have one more point on surprise and then Liz can have a go which is that there are some sorts of surprise that are lovely like when i left the united states when i was 18 my friends contrived to give me a massive surprise party on my last night and i was not expecting it at all and that was a lovely surprise when i am thinking about how to attend an event I haven't attended before, the information about how you're going to get there, how you're going to park, what the arrangements are for meals, where you camp, um, or in this case, how you log on to this, exactly what services you're going to be using, exactly what sort of computer you'll need. These are not part of a lovely surprise. So they should have been extremely much more open and earlier with things like these you'll be doing it in a browser you'll need a computer that's got these sorts of specs to make it work here are the problems that other people sometimes have with these programs and the ways in which you can solve them lots of lots of that i've just been passed a link that i haven't managed to follow yet for a convention that used gather that that has a single page with very clear instructions for all parts of the convention on it and i'm like ooh. That's good. And, and and Eastercon had these things, but I don't think they released them until like the Friday. A lot might have been different if we'd actually had all that material one week earlier. And this isn't, again, it's not the fault of the publications lead. It was the fault of decisions not being made early enough because so many decisions had to be made at committee level. The next thing we're going to talk about is technology at the Eastercon. So we're going to segregate this into two different technologies. We're going to segregate it into streaming technology, so the stuff they use to deliver their program panels. And then we're going to um, also discuss social technology, um, basically the Discord and the Gather. Um, so let's start with the streaming technology. Eastercon was very um, quiet about what tech stack they were using, but I had a couple of meetings with Keith Smith, who was the head of tech, just a bit a few days before the Eastercon, um, where he surfaced quite a lot of that in the meeting. And also um, Zoe mentioned that they were using one one element of their thing, which is, is RedBee, which is a very high-end um, content distribution system that, like, the BBC uses and things like that. They were also using a program called vMix as the kind of front-end mixer. And... Overall, there were many. I heard 22, Keith said 22 to me, um, different programs in the stack that got you from you in your house out to um, the person on the stream. And they decided, and I think this was a committee level decision rather than a decision in tech, that they were going to use this stack for all of their um, programs. So essentially every program item apart from a few readings in gather was going to be done by running it through this stack and that meant that it ended up getting used for quite a lot of events that would have been much better with a more interactive technology and and this is partly because the convention had a huge 
vision, the committee had a vision of what the convention would be like and how it would operate um, that that meant that they were they then didn't always make the right mis right decision for particular program items about how they would best run and this this affected me mostly with the fan funds auction where people had stream lag of up to two minutes which made it very difficult for them to bid on things it was a very successful auction the tech crew and prog ops worked with us incredibly hard to make it good it, it was you know and as did as did the actual fan fund teams um but the they should not have had to do that amount of work and it would have just been much better run in zoom um it, it's just a, an example of something where the tech stack was far too ambitious for the thing that was being was being streamed and it would have been better if it hadn't been streamed at all other conventions have dealt with this by having everything on um, interactive technologies like Zoom or by having much simpler streaming stacks. I think this is the most complicated streaming stack that any virtual convention has tried. And I think the result was that nobody was trained. So once it worked, it worked pretty well for most things. Not the FanFest option, but for most things it worked really well. But that nobody was trained. I think the mistake they made was that they bought an awful lot of technologies that were paid for by the minute or by the hour rather than buying technologies that were bought by the month, for instance. And then they decided that it would be a waste of money to pay for those far enough in advance of the convention to properly onboard volunteers with how those technologies worked. And I think one of those two decisions was a huge mistake. I don't know which one, um, and I wasn't privy to the discussions in the convention. Um, but certainly I think if your tech stack and your budget for your tech stack requires that the first time you start training people on it is the day of the convention, then that is a tech stack that is not going to work well. With the net effect that the convention effectively started a day late because the program items on Friday and Saturday morning just didn't really work. And... I'm sympathetic, so I asked a question in the feedback session about why didn't you use something like StreamYard, and Keith very reasonably said, well, StreamYard didn't offer everything we needed. And I, I will say that I'm sure that is true, um, but the advantage they would have the advantage they would have had with StreamYard is that it is paid by the month, and so they would have had the ability to familiarise their staff. And so I am wondering, and the question I asked is, is the features that you got from this tech stack that you couldn't have got with more simple tools worth the human cost to your volunteers and attendees um because there was one and it seems like you're prioritizing bells and whistles over stressing people out on the day they're trying to get their program to work and that i think is something we've seen spill over onto for example the anonymous claire discord and in a lot of the discussion of what was happening at the convention I think I agree with both of you and you've you've stolen some of my talking points. Um I think I want to say that there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. Like they are right in that you know certainly some conventions have used very simple methods. You either have a big zoom room or you have one of the simpler simpler streaming methods like StreamYard or so on. And they are limited and they do have issues and particularly they identified I think that you can't really play long videos within StreamYard. You then have to go and you know play them off another basically off another tab which works okay um but not always and and it's things like you know we can note a punctuation that one of our items basically got dropped from youtube because 
we were trying to play short video clips of something else and they got pulled, which is not a, not going to be a problem if you're running your own content distribution. But yeah, I think it's obvious that there was kind of a big mismatch between the ambition they had and the actual amount of person time they could afford to budget to pull it off. And then what is interesting is I don't know when they chose to use that tech setup. And it feels to me that either they needed to put more money into the tech setup in order to have more time to familiarize themselves with it. But that, again, would have made them an extremely expensive streaming only convention. Or they need at some point to make the decision of, okay, we can't do all these things. We're going to have to say, no, we're going to run things slightly differently and cut some of that out. And I know that's really hard to do, especially late on. But you've got to wonder, sort of, are you so committed to doing this thing that you keep carrying on even when it's becoming obvious that it's not quite going to pull off and I should say also that from about Saturday afternoon most things were working perfectly well and if everything had worked that well from Friday morning it would have just been you know the occasional hiccup the occasional stream that needed restarting or rebooting and it would have been fine it only became so obvious when you know we got to Saturday morning and I was doing program ops on an item which was not being broadcast live. We were just doing it on the assumption that we could record it and then some people might watch it later, which meant there were no questions because that people would have to ask questions without seeing the item uh, and things like that. In case this ever happens to you in the future, I have a tip, which is that I went into the Discord halfway through my item being recorded without the chance of everyone for anyone to be asked questions. And I went into the Discord and said, obviously you can't see what we said so far, but does anyone have any questions? And we came up with half a dozen really good questions. So, you know. I mean, I did ask for them, but that was a slightly different item. Like you can't ask for questions on a, it was an item about like, um, what is punk in fiction? And it was an extremely sort of free form, wide range discussion. And there was no way to predict like from the description where the panellists would take it and what would be sensible questions to ask. And then I think it would be even worse if I'd said, well, we have a question. Here is a question. It relates to nothing at all you've said on the panel, but would you like to answer it anyway? You may be better off not even having the questions at that point. Yeah, and like I say, this all comes back to their decisions, the decisions that they made not to have that day of training, which would have made it all fine. And it's something we were telling them up to the convention. And... I was doing my best to stay optimistic and sort of saying, you know, we're being very critical, but I'm sure they've got it under control. And then it's after the convention and they didn't. And, you know, that is a problem. And I don't know whose problem it was, but I think I think it's worth coming back to and saying, yeah, that that is something you can't do. That does make the beginning of your convention full of argument, stress and bad feeling instead of full of excitement, joy and happiness, which is the feelings I associate with a convention and the feelings you should be aiming to instill. Um. A really crystallising moment for me was when we were in the newsletter on Saturday morning and they just decided that they were going to not run programme on Saturday morning. And I said, well, you know what? seems like an odd choice to say we're going to take the program down completely when it would take 200 quid and about 20 minutes to get the entire thing set up on zoom and lena there's been a lot of discussion about there's been a lot of fallout about eastercon and the sorts of decisions that were made and why all over my smeeds and in one of them lena thane clark said and i thought this was very wise um it's all very well um, members coming up with buckets of water, but 
sometimes from the point of view of the committee they're just coming along with buckets of paraffin to throw on the fire and I, I feel that my suggestion that I could pick the whole thing up and put it on zoom in 20 minutes might have been one of those buckets of paraffin I, I think it was a bucket of water I, I, I feel like they got into a hole and they carried on digging out that hole rather than going oh no let's get the convention up and running and then we can and then we can sort the the whizzy stuff out in the background while we just meanwhile run the convention using a less good system but you know that's me and not them so obviously i do respect their right to decide it was better to have no program at all than one that wasn't perfect I also have one point about the particular tech stack that they ended up with, which is that it was possible for random people on being given a link by, say, an overtired program ops member of staff or because tech ops had given the wrong link to program ops or because they just clicked the wrong link in their email and find themselves parachuted live onto a totally different program item, thereby bumping off someone who was on that program item and for me that was not fit for purpose you should not be able to do that is that okay yeah i think i think that's all fair and i think ultimately it's very difficult to second guess the decisions they made in the heat at the moment and i don't want to i i i don't want to nitpick decisions that were made kind of on saturday morning when they were trying to put all the fires out because i i do want to say i think i think they should have done things differently in terms of the lead up but i don't want to say that i know what they should have done then because i think that was an incredibly difficult thing because obviously the counterpoint to oh you could just do it through zoom which is possibly true is that then you don't get it on holodeck so i think you've got a um it's a difficult question right and one we're talking about um for punctuation to wash your mouth out with soap um is like is it more important why don't you get you just record the zoom i don't know how difficult that would have been and you don't either it may have been difficult to do it across all the program items. We know they managed it for the bid session, but they may not have been, you know, there to snap into action and have seven people record them and, and ready. Yeah. Yeah. They did, of course, take a very long time to get stuff onto Holodeck anyway. So that's another thing. It was not because of all the other problems with tech. It it, it didn't cut, get up and running as fast. as you, Ideally, you'd want stuff on Holodeck within a couple of hours, I think. Probably. Uh, so the next thing that we're going to pull out and discuss in a little bit more detail is Gather, which was the convention's primary kind of virtual space slash social space. Um, I know we've discussed this on previous uh, shows, but it's basically sort of looks like a little sort of uh, top down 8-bit video game style uh, layout where you pick a little avatar and there is a physical space that you can wander around. And as you wander close to people... Their videos and audio pop up so you can hear them. And as you wander further away, they get quieter and drift away. And Confusion has set it up with a really kind of nice, big, elaborate sort of space space station set up. Um, and it had lots of cool little things. It had all the rooms where you could watch the program in, in Gather if you wanted to, you know, and go and find like the art show and a little dealer's room. But it also had cool things like uh, there was an observation dome. Um, there was an arboretum where, of course, we all kept leaving our avatars hiding under trees. There were hidden things like hidden rooms and mazes and shortcuts and teleportation and just generally, like, clearly an awful lot of effort had gone into uh, producing it. But I'm not sure I used that much of the stuff they'd made. Yes, I think that's probably a fair comment. I have thinks. <laughs> okay, so I, I really wish Proximity Chat worked. It... it, it... 
almost does. There's quite a few different place things in the space. I've been told about a new one I need to go try. Gather's not quite there yet, but I loved, you know, you could wander past somebody in the corridor and stop for a conversation. And, and that feels that feels like an experience I have hugely missed for the last year. And I loved being able to do that. I mean, I do like Gather a lot and I like to Gather here, but Gather's primarily a social tool. And so therefore, when you're designing and building the Gather, I think the energy should go into designing the social spaces. I don't think most people care about TARDISes and his and mazes and, you know, things like the Arboretum was very nice. Um, so so scenery, I think, is, is probably quite useful. But I think a lot of the Easter eggs... Um, didn't work as well as they thought people didn't make us spend as much time exploring the gather because people are mostly there to see their friends and um i think i would have liked to have seen more energy put into thinking how you engineer social spaces in gather so that you can so that they work as effectively as possible and and i don't feel that that was the and and i guess this is very much a personal choice rather than convention's choice but it's um i don't feel that didn't feel to me to be where the centre of the energy in designing the gather went. That's yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I really enjoyed the gather space in general. Um, I think that I, I was always, I think, the most optimistic of the three of us about the use of gather because I've used it professionally and hugely enjoyed it in that context. But I think the moment at which it kind of crystallised for me that actually I really enjoyed this was when I was going from newsletter to the dealer's room to ask someone a question and I bumped into um, Mark and I can't remember who the other person was, but Mark Plummer and someone else were talking in the corridor and I bumped into them and we had a chat and I said hi and we all kind of chatted for five minutes and then someone from the newsletter pinged me on Discord to be like, Oi Coxon, where have you gone? And I got on with what I was supposed to be doing. Um and but I think that it was that kind of thing where I was like, this is the sort of thing that happens at a real convention that has not happened to me in any Zoom or Discord I've been on. And I do think that that mode of interaction is a good one. And, and having a tool that can capture that is wonderful. I now want to launch into the pessimistic bit. Gather needs to sort out their accessibility story, and it's bananas to me that they haven't done. It kind of made sense in April 2020 that they hadn't done because they were very new and everything was moving very quickly, but look at how much work Zoom has done to substantially improve their offering in the last year and compare and contrast to Gather, and you're like, what are they doing? There are key low-hanging... No, not low-hanging fruit. There are key requirements for members of our community to be able to access services that gather just have not bothered to implement and that is shitty. and i think they need to he said as an able-bodied white guy but like ah it really frustrates me because i want the whole community to feel able to partake in this tool that i enjoyed using and it, and it really i i feel uncomfortable suggesting it for conventions i want to run because i know that i'm being exclusionary if i do so despite the fact i enjoyed it for me ah, i really really wish that it was accessible to everyone if you're out there listening to Octothorpe and you know of a proximity chat system that has a good accessibility story to tell, which would certainly include working on mobiles and tablets, please, um, can you get in touch? Because I am actively trying out every one I can find at the moment. Yes, that would be very good. Of course, I too love I love proximity chat. I think it's really good. I think I think my final thought on Gather is that I also think it's very difficult to design a space where you intend there to be sort of several hundreds at max little avatars running around 
when you're trying to design it probably with a very smaller set of people to test it. So, I mean, I like the big spaces in the gather, but they are horrendous for slowing down my system such that I had to put on quiet mode so I didn't see everyone's proximity videos or I just couldn't move around. But then when I got in some of the smaller spaces, it felt a bit like, oh, now is now actually a little bit small and everyone's trying to squeeze around a table. So I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, I think we say it would have been nice if they could have done different things to it. But I think this was very much a sort of first experiment. Um, and I, I don't blame them for, for trying what they did. And then I'm sure if they had to redesign it, um, they would do things differently. And I will just very quickly note that part of my um, screed about accessibility should have been, I do wish Gather was not a web app uh, because I think it would be much more accessible to people on um, less well-spec computers if it was being written in kind of native code and not being done in a web stack because uh, at the moment it's very CPU intensive. And then there was the Discord and the Discord was good. It wasn't big enough. Uh, and what this... Um, led to was every time someone said oh hey i wish you had this channel i posted a link to anonymous claire which had that channel and then people joined anonymous claire with the net effect that we had about 50 new members over the weekend so if you're listening to this because you've seen me link it on anonymous claire hello welcome we're happy you're here we liked the highlander watch along isn't it fun having all these people here oh boy oh boy oh golly i i just had a word with somebody who's worked on nine worlds tech and i said Anyone else who's ever worked on Nine Words Tech would probably be very welcome on Anonymous Claire. So it's possible that Anonymous Claire is just going to kind of generally grow now until it becomes a focal point for UK fandom. And I, for one, would be very happy about that. Um, We're not going to put a link in the show notes, but if you don't yet have an invite to Anonymous Claire, get in touch with one of us and we'll see you straight. I'm very happy with that, except I realise I started being a moderator of Anonymous Claire when it had like six members. And now I <laughs> need to consider the fact that it may have, uh, I don't know, 250 members. I will say that while I feel the Anonymous Claire Discord uh, definitely filled a niche for what people wanted at EasterCon, it was a shame that it couldn't have been provided through EasterCon. It feels a bit like they got a Discord and and we know from punctuation that you have to work quite hard to get your members onto Discords a lot of the time. And so you'd only have part of the membership there, but then felt that actually during Easter, it would be too hard to try and keep the Discord running as well. And so they wanted people to be able to gather, except that then the Discord did keep running. And it seemed like the easiest way to get any sort of tech problems or other issues solved was to come and mention them on Discord. So it felt a bit like it was sort of an official but unofficial space. It was, it was the formal help desk for the convention. They didn't really have an ops room that you went to get help with. They did have that, but as I think Liz noted when John Dodd said, people aren't coming to the ops room and we've got loads of people who could help you there. And Liz quite rightly said, yes, but if I'm watching a program item in program room one that isn't working, I could either walk to the ops room and ask you about it, <laughs> or I could copy and paste things into this box that is here while I am in that program room. And I do wonder, I think this is one of the very good examples of where the EasterCon did not correctly assess how they could use the fact they were virtual in ways that did not limit themselves to the like physical space limitations they would usually have because one of the great benefits of virtual is that the help desk can be like disconnected from the physical space of the convention in a way that makes it more accessible and i think the fact that we saw the discord so full of people asking ops questions and the ops room was apparently according to the manager of ops almost completely empty for the whole weekend really shows that this is one way in which people are quite happy to take advantage of the fact it's virtual and not limited to a physical space i think the other thing that 
they tried to replicate sort of a physical Eastercon uh, in Gather was by having ops rovers. So there were ops rovers, I think, wandering around the Gather. The problem is because Gather doesn't let you kind of sort the list of people there in any way, the only way to find the ops rover was sort of to scroll through this list of names and find out who had tagged themselves ops rover. And it was nowhere near as useful as if you're at an actual convention and you can go and find a person carrying a radio and wearing a sash and figure out who is in charge of things so that i think was a physical thing that just doesn't carry over and and, and didn't feel useful you could just have the ops rover hanging around in ops and if you got a message through saying you know help someone stuck in a tree in the arboretum you could then send their little avatar over i don't think you could get stuck in a tree in the arboretum but wouldn't it be cool if you could it was clearly a design choice from the convention to replicate the physical convention as far as they possibly could and this worked well for me in some ways because it meant that when we asked them if we could have a newsletter room they were like oh yeah yeah you can have a newsletter room and that turned out to be quite useful for us um because it was quite a nice place to to hang out and do newsletter and talk to people with newsletter items and so on um but it also meant that they made some decisions that were frankly really terrible like paying for i assume a program called zello which implements walkie talkie functionality between staff now most staff i I mean walkie talkies have been a bit of a an an unpleasant essential at eastercons for some time but if you have a discord where you can type things you you don't really need a walkie talkie system because you can just check the discord and then one other thing on discord which is there have been a lot of different virtual conventions over the last year and they've run in lots of different ways. But one thing that I think almost everyone would agree with is that having text threads that collect all the thoughts that have that people have during and after programme items and that you can go in later and go, oh, that looks like a good programme item. I should catch it on replay. Um, I mean, those those are incredibly positive and I've, I think... Eastercon not having them when they could perfectly well have had them was, I think, a kind of a monumental own goal. And I think they thought that Gather Chat would be reasonably a good, a good, reasonably good alternative to Discord Chat. But Gather Chat isn't persistent. Um, it, it only kind of happens when you're in it, and then the only thing you see is your chat, and then it only saves so many messages. So so you can't actually go all the way back through your chat. So it doesn't create a record of information on a topic. Um, So I think that was a bit of a mistake. And I think they didn't need to make it. It's not very hard to moderate discords for Eastercon type people. I think big discord servers with ordinary people on them, not ordinary people, thought again, big discord servers with teenage gamers on speed on them can be quite hard to moderate because there can be an awful lot of kind of spammy threads and meme threads and people posting completely outrageous stuff and i think if you've come from discord from that direction you can be quite surprised by how sedate convention discords tend to be so um let's talk program and art show um so i liked the program uh the bits that i saw kind of after saturday morning i thought were good and i enjoyed um some of the program items very much um and i thought the art show was fantastic they used a piece of software called kunst matrix um which was cool um and let you kind of imagine that you were in a real art gallery uh my one criticism of kunst matrix is that i think it 
introduced a disconnect between viewing the art and buying the art that I think um, especially my my wife was a bit curious as to how well the popularity of the art show had converted into sales for artists. I do not know how well it did that. So if you are an artist who exhibited and sold things or didn't sell things at Eastcom, please do write in and let us know how you feel that went because we'd be very interested. Um, the programme I thought was very good. The panel items I saw were very cool. You could watch them by going to the room in Gather and kind of watching them in the room there. Um, but what actually happened was um, if you are on a Mac and you watch things as a video in Safari, you can pop it out and have it as a little window that like hovers over all your other windows in the corner of your screen. And so I was kind of wandering around uh, the Gather or doing the newsletter or whatever with the program item just kind of constantly playing in my upper right hand corner. And that was amazing. I really liked that. We'll just call you Chris Garcia. Chris didn't even lock us this time, Alison. So frankly, he's persona non grata until he gets back on the horse. You know who did lock us? Claire Briley of Croydon. Right, anyway, so um yeah but in general i really like them i have no real criticisms of either thing other than that very small question about um converting into art sales so i would say that actually how i watch the program a lot of time is sometimes i had it open on the second screen on my desktop because i've got a laptop and desktop setup Ooh, fancy um i actually discovered that if i logged into the program on the browser on my amazon tv stick that worked perfectly well. It wouldn't work on my PlayStation for some reason, and it wouldn't work on my Chromecast for some reason, but it was quite happy with the random Amazon browser. Anyway, so that, that worked fine. Um, so I did that quite a lot. Uh, a few items I will call out for being particularly good is, oh, I really enjoyed the Hay Lecture, which was about sort of um, forensic archaeology and about burial practices, and it was really interesting. And there is a... Uh, horrible analogy about popcorn that i recommend you go and look up uh this is probably alison and john because i should say the program is only available till the 12th of april and will be down by the time you listen to this podcast but you know they also had a couple of panels which i'm not sure where the panelists were but they may have been difficult to pull together so many experts at an easter con i think they did make good use of the virtuality of the convention by getting some people to pop in for a panel or a couple of items who you would definitely not normally see at an EasterCon and who very much enhanced the EasterCon. So I thought that was pretty good. Quite clever. Good choice good good choice of panellists on lots and lots of items. The one I would specifically pull out that I, I watched later on actually and enjoyed was a panel about Jin Yong Works and Place in Chinese Literature, which is about Hong Kong's most famous novelist, who I was not aware of before the convention, um, but now might go and try and check out some translations. And there are, yeah, there were just generally quite a few good uh, program items. There are also fun ones. I watched the one which is like, is it a bad 80s pop lyric or a Warhammer 40k Space Marine uh line and uh yeah it was very cleverly done because obviously some of them were were one or the other or both sometimes and also included ones that the people on the panel had written and occasionally forgotten so that was quite fun um <laughs> excellent and they all worked fine it also made me realize it showed that you can do a sort of virtual fun quiz show because you don't need to have like buzzers you can just have everyone on the panel has like I think they had little um, like ray toy ray guns that made a noise. And so you could use that to be like your buzzer and you could just have them at home and you just suddenly hold up your little buzzer and buzz in. So that was neat. Um, I did really enjoy the art show. I mean, I wasn't in the market for buying any art this year because uh, I 
can't, I'd have to get the art shipped thousands of miles for me, which seemed impractical. So I didn't really notice the lack of linkage between art show and being able to buy the art. But I, I really enjoyed the way you could just kind of go to an artist's site and just, you know, enjoy clicking through and have a sort of guided tour of all their art. And I did enjoy that, um, yeah, for Alex Storer, who designed The Gather and also had an exhibit in the art show, he does a lot of music. And so you can just play the music. And there's absolutely no problem with that. And imagine trying to do that in a regular EasterCon art show. It, you know, you'd have to have like three people sharing pairs of headphones or whatever. It would just be terrible. Whereas in the virtual one, it's like, yeah, you want to show videos, you want to have music, go for it. So that was really nice. I think it's the Alice, it's the Alison segment of the podcast, I think, now. I want to talk a bit a little bit about how to share EasterCons, but I did that actually. I've I've it turns out. From a few weeks before the convention, we were talking here about it in Octothorpe, but because I do a lot of different things in fandom and therefore I I get involved in lots of different areas of convention. I kept asking different areas of conventions about things. That included things where I was working on the convention and I needed support from the convention to do what I wanted to do and didn't want to be interfered with. Um, and also areas where I was bringing things to the convention and so wanted some information about how the bits of the convention I was bringing things to would work. And areas where I had information for them and I was like, do you want to do some of this stuff on your social media? And what, what I was finding was that there's a lot of work in an EasterCon, particularly in the last four or five weeks and what I was finding was that every single decision no matter how tiny had to be made at committee level and that doesn't mean that a committee member made the decision what you would get is you'd be in conversation with committee members and they'd be going I cannot make that decision it has to be made in full committee we didn't have a bid for 2023 but it, it wasn't really a terrible problem if we didn't because it's only 2021 now so we could bid next year but then about three days before three or four days before the EasterCon somebody asked if anyone knew anything about a 2023 bid and Vanessa said yes and I formed a think and my think was I don't think Vanessa should get another turn at this just because um just because she wants it because she hasn't had a chance to chair a physical convention yet. I, I, I'm not totally averse to Vanessa running the EasterCon in 2023, but I thought she should take it away and have a little think about it. And so I started sounding out other people um, about their experiences of working on this convention, about their experiences of working with Vanessa. And, um, and I started thinking about the possibility that we might need to say at the bidding session oh you know what you should take some time to reflect and so I asked I think two days before the convention how you'd go about um, expressing the fact that you wanted to speak at the bidding session and I didn't get an answer and other people started asking on my behalf when this was going to get answered I didn't put them up to it they just kind of asked and that we didn't get an answer and then during the convention obviously they were too busy on Thursday and Friday but by Saturday they were, I was kind of going how are we going to speak at the bidding session? They were kind of like, and eventually we found out that it was going to be a secure Zoom where you could type in 160 character um, comments. And I felt, well, actually, that's not the way our community works. And, and that caused me to coalesce around the notion that I really needed to speak up and say something on behalf of all the people who weren't getting to speak. And when I asked the convention if I, they could make provision for me to speak, they said, no, you can only speak if you're a bid. 
And this at that point, I thought that was just plain wrong. So I wrote a speech and I bid for 2023. And the speech is on Ansible, so you could go and read it because that seemed like um, nailing it to the church door of fandom was the comment that somebody else used about their rant, which is not like my rant. But it was it's a speech about what you should do if you're chair. And obviously... I was coming at it from a point of view of it felt to me like I was not seeing evidence that Vanessa was doing enough of these things. But it's a general speech about what I think a convention chair should do. And I think it's pretty good, which is why I've left it lying around, despite the fact that it has had its purpose, which was to push the Easter bid off for another year. Um, I feel like a lot of things that I felt didn't go well about this convention were down to not doing the things I talked about in that speech. And a a lot of this podcast has also been. Um, It was very uncomfortable to do though because I felt like I was standing up and plunging all fandom into war she was um my friends have been very kind but I'm sure my enemies are not being very kind so if this is you I, I all I really wanted to achieve was to just put off that decision and I think so I just want to jump in here and tell you what your speech was in the true manner of a white vanished male <laughs> go on I need a mansplain Ooh. it was more in my opinion, it was more than you just explaining why the bid needed to be pushed back. It was a neat summarization of all the reasons that people had been disgruntled with this EastCon in the last year in a easy to understand package, which made people think, oh, like from from my perspective anyway, I had been feeling frustrated, annoyed and disenfranchised by this EastCon, but I, I, I don't think I could have put quite my finger on why. And I think if you listen to the last, ooh, 26 episodes of Octothorpe, you can probably hear that although I talk about it a lot, I'm not sure I'm particularly good at saying it's these five things that they're not doing. And when I watched you give that speech, it just all clicked. And I was like, yes, that's exactly why. That's why I feel dissatisfied. That's why I feel disenfranchised. And that's what I want the EasterCon to be. And so I think it wasn't just a speech delivered to explain why the the bid needed to be pushed back to 2022. But it was also a statement of, I would say that it would be a very good foundational document for what it is we hope to achieve as a community. And that's why I think the analogy of nailing it to the church door is so apt, because I think it is the sort of document that deserves to be nailed to the church door of fandom. And so I I do think, in fact, you are selling yourself slightly short, because I think it was a very good encapsulation of a lot of things I feel about Eastcom. As I said, my friends and supporters have been very kind to me. (laughs) Okay, so I mean, I'm sure that there are people who don't feel that way. If you think at this point, I am a quite grumpy person who was just being grumpy and and Vanessa absolutely deserves another shot right now without a period of reflection then why don't you in the aftertimes buy me a drink and I'll tell you why you're wrong um <laughs> the other thing is although I am sure and I think this comes down to um whenever you get people who are disagreeing with you I think it is very difficult for anyone not and not I'm so I'm going to say me personally if I say something and someone I know says no you are wrong and I am annoyed and here are the reasons I think you're wrong it is often very difficult for me to tell whether I am at the edge of the bell curve and I am very unusual in thinking what I think and they are very typical in thinking what they think or the reverse and I think that's true in any disagreement you don't know how widely felt um either viewpoint is 
And I think so when we were criticising EasterCon in the run-up, you could plausibly have said that the loudest voices in the chorus of people criticising EasterCon were people who are us or people who are friends with us. And so I think if you were running the EasterCon, you could quite plausibly have said, well, yes, but this is just 10 people with like a stick up their ass, so we probably don't need to treat their opinions as representative. I think what the bid session showed quite neatly because 16% of people voted for Vanessa in 2023, 10% of people voted for you in 2023, and 69% of people voted to hold over. And I think what that shows quite neatly is that it isn't a case that it's 10 or 15 people who are very loud in Eastercon fandom who had these reservations, but it is a large segment of fandom who felt this disenfranchisement. And I think if that wasn't the case then 2023 would be settled now and and your um and people would not have voted to hold over the vote until next year so i think the fact that people did vote for that means that although i'm sure that like there is a component here of your friends are being very kind to you and your enemies are probably not i do think that indicates that on some level a large segment of of the people in that meeting did sympathize more with the way you framed that and i and i do think it is important that we don't be too um, self-effacing about that because I think it's an important point which is it's not that you made a speech and everyone just ignored you you made a speech that resonated I did pull some skills that I gained in my previous professional job to do that um, that have been lying dormant waiting for a suitable outlet for quite a long time um, so you know that was quite nice um, I think I was. I am serious. I mean, I, I joked about. I'll tell you why I'm wrong. But I am very up for. If you're listening to this and you're thinking Alison is full of beans, I am full of beans. And also, yeah, I am very, very happy to 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 have a chat. I think what I will say is that was probably one of the stranger Easter bid sessions I've been to. Um, not that I've been to that many Easter bid sessions, but it, it was uh, unexpected. And that's it. I think like. It's not something I would encourage people to to do at bid sessions is to to stand up and bid in order that they can kind of pin their personal philosophy of Eastercon to a church door. But you were left with no other way to do that because of the way they'd done it. And I think, you know, if I think there were lots of ways they could have headed off you ending up at the point where you felt you had to actually bid for an Eastercon and pledge to really run one if necessary in order to make your point. And I think that maybe just comes across, again, the the fact that everything seemed to be quite tightly controlled and communications quite tightly controlled. And part of that was obviously not really wanting the bid session to turn into lots of random chatter and try and keep everything neat and tidy and, and questioned through one channel where there was like a character restriction. Um, and so, yeah, you ended up basically standing up and pronouncing the philosophy of the Eastercon. And I was a bit tense because I was like, I don't know. Because in a normal bid session, I could gauge the audience and I can see who's there and, and who do I know and who are these people and do they seem to be like, yeah, yeah, going along with it? Or are they like, what is this woman doing? Why don't you just get off the stage so we can vote? And you don't have that feeling in a virtual one. And so when it came down to like, actually, okay, 70, 70% of people have said, yeah, let's hold it over, think about this and come back next year and, and really bid on it. I was like, phew, because that made me feel like the community is supporting Alison's statement, which I also very much support. And I think, sorry, Alison, I'm just going to tell you more about how you did. Um, <laughs> I think, but I think what Liz just said there, what Liz just said there is is also, I think, something she said much better than me, but which I also felt, which is, 
and i think it comes back to that thing of like the eastern committee didn't know whether it was just 10 people who were very loud or whether it was a widely felt thing and i think this is something we've had for the last year which is we're not seeing each other in pubs so we can't gauge the mood in order for you to make your feelings known about this you have to deliberately write it down in a place where people can see it you can't just nod along to a pub meeting or, or something like that and so i think i think this is actually a problem of lockdown generally and i think in some ways because i was very tense in that meeting as well i I was by no means sure that you were going to come out of that meeting with the desired effect and the fact that it was like 70 percent of people voted um hold over was a was a very big relief to me um and so I, i do want to echo what liz said which is i was glad that we had that opportunity to take the temperature of the room in lockdown um because i think it is very difficult to take temperatures of rooms virtually um yeah and also it was the first contested bid in my time in fandom uh this is my 14th eastercon and it was the first time there's been a contested bid in all that time so it was exciting so it was not my first contested bid and my first eastercon was a contested bid it is true that contested bid in the year 2000 bc when dinosaurs roamed the earth pretty much but in fact dinosaurs ran the eastercon which was why we had a contested bid which we won um anyway sorry that that line probably needs to cut out because those dinosaurs are mostly my friends now (laughs) (laughs) keeping it in keeping it in (laughs) i think it's fine but i mean you know the it it says the thing which is that the reason you have contested bids is not because two groups of people want to run the eastercon it's because there are fundamental differences of view about what the convention is and what it stands for i i was not expecting not to prevail i was slightly worried that i would end up with the eastercon seated with me um which i as you know didn't particularly want listeners if you have ever wondered what unbridled self-esteem looks like you can hear it here now (laughs) yeah no but i'm going to explain why which is that i had talked to a lot of people and i hadn't just talked to them i did a thing where i got talked to people who I knew had the ear of people who are not particularly my friends in fandom, but whose opinions I trust. And I got those people to sound out the people who I'm on not such good terms with. And in fact, I, in at least one case, some of my mates came to me to tell me that they'd had a very worried conversation with one of the people who I don't, is not, is not one of my intimates. And, um, and so, so this is just kind of how basic politics works. And, I am not actually a hugely political animal, but um, I did actually—I had actually done my homework. I would have been extremely surprised um, if the, if the Eastercon, if if that meeting had gone the other way. I wanted just tiny, tiny moment on management and organisational design, which is that I don't—I think they need to do a lot of it because I think virtual Eastercons are very different. Virtual conventions are very difficult, and I'm not sure they really did any of it. So we ended up with teams that reflect the teams you have at um, physical Easter cons. And I think they kind of got in each other's way quite a bit. And that that is, I think, absolutely down to chairmanship as well. And finally, uh, a lot of this, a lot of what I said was focused on Vanessa, but that was because Vanessa had just bid for a convention for which she had no announced committee. So she was literally standing up and saying, let me have the Easter con and I'll, I'll run it my way and 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 i think that was that was quite easy to to counter in a way that if she'd had a good team around her i think i I might i might very well have have not persuaded people to hold over 
I think a really useful skill in an Eastercon chair is being able to do this thing where you can go, okay, I'll go and ask this person because I know they can take the temperature of these other 10 people who don't necessarily know me and wouldn't necessarily speak up directly to me. And in that way, you can get an overview of what people are thinking. And that's actually a really effective skill if you're going to run an Eastercon. So as Liz mentions, Alison is very good at um, working with and talking with members of the community in order to build up a view of what needs doing, who needs to do it and when. And it is for this kind of tireless, invisible, behind-the-scenes service that she has won the Doc Weir Award. So congratulations, Alison. Very well done. Um, yeah, no, I was very pleased to win the Doc Weir. Um, thanks to my Octothought co-host because I think I kind of got it not for nailing things to church doors but because I've done a load of stuff for the last year about keeping fandom connected in the keeping UK fandom connected in the pandemic and I think that Octothorpe has been a big part of that and I am also I think they might have been the ones that put the fix in don't know what you mean I am very pleased to have won an award for for massive humility and I am intending to play on this Every time I feel like I want to say in my humble opinion, I know that I am, in fact, expressing a humble opinion because I've just won a major humility award. So there we go. The reason I voted for you and Doc Weir was mostly not because of your um, nailing things to church doors, but mostly because I think you have done more than anyone else in the last year to keep British fandom a community. And I think that deserved recognition. And that is exactly why I voted. And I think I, as a lot of people, also voted before you nailed things to a church door, um, which makes it somewhat awkward because I don't think you should win for laying things to church door. That's a big, obvious, visible thing. I think you should win for the fact that you have basically been keeping a lot of people going socially and, you know, keeping their mental health a good free year, basically. I've been trying. Very trying. <laughs> Oh, the old jokes are the best. Yeah, you've had your, had your moment of humility. Now let's go on with it. I have. Right. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. We are going to collect together con reports of confusion and we are going to put links to them on our on the Octotherp show notes page for this show. So if you have written a con report, um, we will... If you get it to us, we'll make sure it's there for people to read. That could be a positive report, a negative report, a mixed report. We've got a few. So do tell us your con reports. Yes, and we will link that we we will link to the ones we know about at the moment in the show notes and we will add to the show notes with the ones we receive. Um and we will also mention them at Octothorpe Live. So I don't know if we remembered to mention Octothorpe Live, but it's happening on the twenty fifth of April, twenty twenty one. Um, and it will be on Zoom. We will put advertisements in Anonymous Claire and on our Twitter and Facebook. So keep your eyes peeled for those. But what about our members who aren't on Facebook or Twitter and or Anonymous Claire? So if you would like to come to Octothorpe Live and you are not on the Anonymous Claire Discord or following us on Twitter or Facebook, please do feel free to email octothorpecast at gmail.com and we will sort you out with the link. But until next time, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.
we were going to talk about other topics. I don't think we are. We've been recording at the time I say this, I believe, for around about an hour and 40 minutes. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.